Welcome to Glossonomia, conversations about the sounds of speech. I'm Phil Thompson, and with me is Eric Armstrong. Hi there, Phil. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here today. What are we talking about? Uh, well, this is episode 13, and we're heading back over to a vowel. Our vowel today is U. Uh, the, we'll keep on referring to it as the foot vowel, uh, which is a lexical set word, which we've used that terminology before. Uh, but before we get into the details of the sound, uh, I think we're always happy when we get a little email to respond to. And uh, this time, uh, we got an email responding to the goose episode uh, and our passing reference to yod roticization. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have that email in front of you? I do. It's an email from Catherine Nelson. And if uh, listeners don't remember, when we were doing the goose episode we talked about something called yod roticization. And that's a a feature of African-American vernacular English where the U in words like music gets changed to an R-like sound in some way. Both Phil and I had never really experienced this in real life. We'd read about it, but we'd never experienced it. So uh, Kate Nelson is writing to fill us in. So this is what she said. Hi, Eric and Phil. Really enjoyed the Goose episode of Glossonomia. I was interested in what you had to say about yod roticization. I work in West Point, Georgia, which is a small town on the Alabama-Georgia border. I live in Auburn, Alabama, 30 miles to the west. I'm not from this area. I grew up in Chicago and was born in Pittsburgh. Having lived here for 17 years, I easily hear the differences between various southern dialects. I'm a corporate accent trainer, and the main part of my job is to minimize accents and to try to make my clients, business and private, speak in less accented ways and become more confident when they are in any speaking situation. When I started working in West Point, one of the more noticeable AAVE, African American Vernacular English, dialect features I heard was, in fact, the yod roticization. It is quite evident in words like music, beautiful, mute, distribution, etc. I've had to work with quite a few of our African-American operators and help them produce a more clear, fluid U. Intercall is a global conferencing services company, and many of our operators read scripts before a conference call begins. One of the statements in our call execution script is, your lines will be placed on music hold until the conference begins. What some customers were hearing was Merzik and not music. This was becoming an issue for our customers. Most of the African-American operators really had no idea why they were being told that they were mispronouncing these words. They've always pronounced these types of words with roticization, and they hear their families, friends use the same pronunciation patterns. Then a nerd like me comes along and tells them they have to say music and not merzik. Once they heard and understood the difference, they were able to execute the U pretty well, but this took a few weeks of heavy training practice. I always tell the clients, you are not only learning a new different pronunciation, you're learning new mouth movements as well. So that's the gist of what she says. I wanted to point out one of the interesting things there is that uh, we've been talking about the uh, 
rhoticization, the R-ing of yod, y. Uh, so you would imagine that that would be instead of M-Y-U, it would be M-R-U, but she spells it and capitalizes the, uh, the two letters in the first syllable of music as M-U-R, uh, which it, it's possible that it's a typo transposition, but it also seems to indicate a sound that is somewhere in between, not that the Y alone, the Y alone has shifted into an R, but something R-ish has happened to the whole business in there. So mm-hmm. I, I went looking. I, I went to the sources I had on this phenomenon, and I was directed to Memphis, although I, I don't know whether these Georgia, Alabama sounds are going to be much different from Memphis. I went looking for Memphis. And so I found a couple of samples of people doing this. Uh, so I thought we might play them now. I'll play the first one, the shorter one, with the sound with the word community in it. And uh, let's just listen to what we hear. We had to be the voice of the community. 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 All right. Uh, there was a little bit of a problem with me uh, playing it, but the, our audience will have heard it perfectly. Yes, I, I heard it perfectly. And it, it, uh, uh, you've done an interesting job of editing because what you've done is you've repeated the word community several times and then slowed it down. Yeah. Uh, he, he wasn't actually doing that in his actual <laughs> that's speech. True. That's your, your tricky digital editing. Um, yeah, that, that's a great example. Let's, let's listen to the other sample right away, yeah. and then we'll talk Terrific. about them, shall we? Excellent. So, so we're listen, listening for interview. In my relationship with my interview partner is my mom. My name is Ronetta McKinstry, and I'm being interviewed by my son. Interview, 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 interview. So what we hear there is a bit of a difference between the mother and the son. Yeah, and I'd say even a variation between... Uh, I. I I believe she says it twice. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to have one individual saying it in slightly different ways all the time. So at least we're triangulating in on this phenomenon, on this feature, which seems to be the movement of the U sound or the U sound forward into the palatal region. So... There's something happening to that U that puts it into the territory where we would expect and we hear R. So one way you could look at this is not that the Yod has shifted over into a Y, uh, into a R, but that the Yod has disappeared and the U has shifted into a R sort of place. Mm-hmm. There, there... Everything is compressed in this sound so that those sounds are all very similar. So it would be possible to hear interview, interview, and to hear an R, either before or after, even if that's not precisely what's going on. Now, I have to confess that it's possible for that to be the general pronunciation of the community, and then if you hear the word music, and you hear it as an R, you might then very well put a strong R in there. And I just might not have found that sample. Uh, So there could be variation uh, amongst people. I I think that this is a really fascinating process in terms of, we're always talking about how 
pronunciation changes and letters change and so forth. But you know what? Uh, it's in your mouth that something's happening here. Uh, and that uh, the sound of community is in a place where my mouth is used to going for R and for Y. It sort of blends those two. Uh, and I think that there's a really good example of the sound moving the other direction. The, the word February, uh, I have to confess, being a, a nerd, I usually pronounce it February. Uh, Me too. But many, many people pronounce it February. Are they doing this because they can't read? No. They're doing it because February is interpretable as R or Y. Uh, and the word January was probably spoken nearby. So January, February, I can interpret that February as February or February. And because I'm not looking at the spelling, I'm hearing it and I'm finding the word in my own mouth, it's completely reasonable to say February. Completely. And, I, and we're in the minority, frankly, according to what I've been we able are. to find in, in our p bizarre pronunciation of February. I'm not going to stop, though. <laughs> yes, uh, so, there, there are millions like us. We, we are not alone, yes. but we are in the minority. Well, I think that I, it's I just a, remember, you know, a really interesting have images to, of children uh, chanting January, February, <laughs> uh, and that kind of... Uh, oral learning that you, uh, you're going to assume that you wary is sort of a repeated chunk of the word, and so it's yeah. obvious uh, uh, transfer from one word to the next. Um, but uh, I, I, I rem I'm reminded a little bit of the word, um, or the name, Goethe, uh, which I hear many North Americans pronounce as Goethe, mm -hmm. because, again, that vowel is uh, a vowel that's a German vowel, it's not an American vowel, or a North American vowel at least, and it's perceived as being in that R area of the mouth, and so people jump to that association. Um, I, 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 I do think this idea of sort of softening the yod on one end of the word and fronting the U at the, uh, sorry, of, of that vowel, the U, softening the yod at the front and uh, advancing or fronting mm -hmm. the U at the back of the U brings us sort of to this middle ground of which can easily start to sound like an R sound. Yeah, I'll, I'll quote my, my friend and colleague Dudley Knight in, in describing this area as the rhotic zone, which uh, you have to imagine Rod Serling leading us into the rhotic zone. It sounds mildly erotic. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was a great email. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I hope for many more of those. Uh, also, we seem and, to... And if other people have examples of stronger versions of this, um, we would love to hear them. So um, send those, those audio samples and your emails to us at glossonomia at gmail.com. Excellent. So... Let us come back around to foot, which is what this episode is really about. Uh, 
Again, foot is a lexical set word. J.C. Wells came up with these words to help us conveniently talk about categories of pronunciation. So there are a set of words that are pronounced usually in English as u. Uh, and so the word we use to shorthand that is foot. There's another way of describing this, which I've seen a lot, which is short u or short double o. Uh, that in old orthoepical books and pronunciation books is usually referred to as short u. Uh, the, the IPA describes it as a near, close, near, back, rounded vowel. So could you talk to us a little bit about the formation of that? How do you, how do you make that near, close, near, back, rounded vowel? Well, that is such an interesting term, near, close, near, back. It's nearly a vowel, it seems, <laughs> um, that uh, it's, it's almost like we're, we're dis- defining it by its relationship to the sound ooh. Ooh, I think, is a convenient vowel reference point because it is that sort of upper back corner of the vowel okay. chart. It's the close back rounded vowel. So that's easy to define. It fits neatly in the corner, whereas the uh vowel, it's on the root down towards the center of the chart. Um, The handbook of the IPA defines it as a mid-centralization of ooh. I looked that up, and I was surprised to see that, uh, you know, in discussing cardinal vowels, handy, we can work our way around the outside of the chart. But when we get to sounds like I and uh, we have to kind of work our way out of the corners to define yeah. these these other sounds. That so mid-centralization I like mark is a fairly work. new addition, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. As a diacritic mark, mid-centralization is a new m- mark. But you know, there is a separate symbol for that. Yes. We'll get to it in a moment for this uh sound. Um, so it. It is in a, a neighborhood of the mouth. It's the neighbor of oo, and uh, one could start from oo and work your way into this sound. Uh, one could also work from the center and work out. If you started at schwa and s- imagine sliding gradually towards oo, you would go through the uh neighborhood and hopefully find it. So if we tried that, it would sound something like this. Uh, and about halfway through there, I, I went through the neighborhood of uh. Um, if you ask people who use this sound, imagine you were a person who didn't have uh in their speech, you ask them to say it, I think you'd actually get quite a range of pronunciations within a, a, a yeah. fairly small group of people. Um, that some I, people I pronounce like words like... If you, some people are going to say it with a very schwa-like uh sound, probably with no lip rounding or very little, uh, and other people will have quite a distinctive oo-like quality. I have a, a very vivid memory of watching... Um, the Remains of the Day. And there's a lovely scene between Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson where they're arguing about a book. And he, it's just a popular novel, Ben, uh, clearly it, it's below him that he is reading a popular novel. He, he feels that he is such a person who should only read the classics. Um, and he won't let her read it. And he says the word book about 20 times in a row. <laughs> and 
he pronounces it almost clearly as book. It's it's not quite ooh, but it's it's awfully close. Um, and That's so interesting to my own pronunciation. Very different. Uh, the he he's a. Anthony Hopkins is Welsh, and the Welsh realization of that phoneme is usually much more central, yes? Mm-hmm. Am I getting that right? Book, book. No, it's the... Now I'm confused. I'll have to look that up. Uh, but okay. that would be a question. Is is it a feature of the character that he's presenting or a feature of his own accent? Or, or his version of RP that may be fairly dated at this point... Um, certainly for that character, uh, we would expect his RP to be very heightened and strong. Well, I, I can certainly say that when I'm trying to introduce this sound to my students, I am leaning as far up towards goose as I can manage and still feel like I'm being true to foot uh, because I, I, I feel that most of them are in a much more centralized and unrounded place. So I'm trying to... Uh, Help them with the distinction, and I may be guilty of, of, over ooing my ooh. <laughs> now I would suggest that uh, I would think there's one group of people that you do the opposite with, and that is with speakers who don't have ooh in their own speech. Um, so someone who um, uh, is confusing words like uh, um, good and food. Uh, saying good food, making them both ooh-like sounds, yeah. probably there'd be a tendency to err towards schwa a little bit to get them away from saying good. And frankly, I... I certainly do that. The, the thing that you just did in moving between the completely mid-central and ooh, following that journey back and forth is a really valuable practice. Not to try to get them to park anywhere, but to really feel what it's like to be at every point on that spectrum. You might also think about taking a, a right angle, uh, starting with o uh, and raising it first before going back. So you've got o. Uh, a lot of my students, their goose is fronted, and so uh, finding a pathway back to an unfronted o, uh, a fully back o, uh, is that can be a confusing territory for them. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit, if um, you could, and about this. I just wanted to say one other thing, and that was to explore versions of lip rounding that to, that not only the uh, the the you know, so height and backness of it, but uh, to to play with you know, if, take your own pronunciation book, try it with no lip rounding book put lots of lip rounding on it, exploring the idea of lip rounding and what does it add. It's subtle. I think most people don't really appreciate the value of adding lip rounding to it. Um, uh, And to disambiguate lip rounding from other features. Yes, absolutely. If if, uh, we ask people to mouth words with this vowel in it, it's likely that they will exaggerate lip rounding as a way of sort of Indicating, imagine you're talking to someone through three inches of uh, soundproof glass. Uh, you're likely to say a word like cookbook with some pretty energized lip rounding. Um, and that can at least give people the thought that they know what the idea of lip rounding on this vowel is, that they actually have it built into their own bodies. That cookbook with no lip rounding 
Um, it may be how they say it most of the time, but when push comes to shove, if you really had to make yourself understood, you might actually fall back to some lip rounding. It's an interesting phenomenon. Indeed. So uh, the, the symbol for this sound, uh, the, the one that you and I use and that is the accepted symbol by the IPA is what is called a turned omega uh, you, you can imagine the omega, uh, the sort of horseshoe shape with little bent ends. It looks quite a bit like a horseshoe. And just in this case, the U symbol is has the open part pointing up, which, by the way, is the way you're supposed to put a horseshoe up on the wall so the luck doesn't run out, apparently. To, ca- to catch the ah. luck, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, uh, I, I've always called this an upsilon. Uh, yeah, I think that, if I'm remembering correctly, that the upsilon symbol and the turned omega are slightly different in the way that they're formed. And uh, I feel like I ought to grab Lajusaw and pull them to be sure of that. So, uh, Now, I do know pause. that from... Well, uh, I, I can fill that slight pause, I think, that oh, in okay. Greek typography... Upsilon, there's the capital Upsilon, which is probably more of a, a Y-like symbol. Um, and we have Upsilon, uh, um, that uh, uh, this, this uh, o- Omega symbol, the, the difference between Omega and Upsilon, um, Upsilon really doesn't represent the U sound in Greek at all. Uh, and it looks more like half of an Omega and a bit of a V, um, the the Greek symbol, uh, lowercase, minuscule, um, upsilon. Um, but I, I believe that the turned omega is in phonetic circles known as upsilon. Uh, and d- that's... Are you, are you I'm nodding? I see nodding of, oh, through the waves of Skype. <laughs> yes, that's certainly what uh, uh, Jeffrey Pullum and William Ladjusaw's phonetic symbol guide uh, calls this symbol, and I'm just going to find the omega in here, closed omega. Yeah, the difference really is uh, the uh, the serif, how much the the serif is bent. Uh, the mm. it is true, and I know that Wikipedia is not a source of authoritative information. Uh, but it's described as the turned omega on uh, on the Wikipedia site about the sound. And uh, yes, no more useful information in there. So if you were to use... So some people omega, call it upsilon. Uh, yeah, and I think that that's probably more accurate, that the, the symbol as described... That and that we commonly see doesn't have the extra little. Uh, it's a flat serif rather than a bent serif on each of the branches of that rounded shape. Uh, does that mm-hmm. matter? Uh, I don't think that we're going to get a lot of confusion on those. Uh, I believe actually there might have been a blog entry on J.C. Wells' phonetic blog about that question. So. Uh, that might be worth looking yes, at. Yes, I think he was talking about uh, a font that featured 
the upsilon symbol that was actually a real omega that had been turned. And so it wasn't actually yeah. appropriate to the shape of the upsilon uh, character. And that uh, the part of the problem was that the sort of the bowl of the, um, the, the U part of it um, was a little bit too flat and too vertical just below the serifs. And that made it sort of stand out in, in typographical terms. So it really is more like a horseshoe. Yes, absolutely. And there's a a preceding version of the closed omega, which uh, my students used to refer to as the butt symbol. Uh, it is sort of like a W, but with an arc across the top. Uh, and that's the closed omega. Uh, and that would be a lowercase Greek omega. Yeah. And that it looks sort of like a W. Uh, and that was used by the IPA, and that was sort of kicked off the island on in 1989 uh, as they made a few changes. There, there's another way of writing this, uh, what uh, what's called the Americanist phonetic notation symbol uh, system, uh, which is a sort of small capital U. Uh, what Wikipedia so it looks like a lowercase U with no tail. Correct. Sorry. Correct. Uh, and so that the, the what Wikipedia describes as the Americanist phonetic notation system uh, doesn't co- take into account the fact that uh, theater people u- often use that because that's what Edith, Edith Skinner used uh, a small capital U. Yeah, and that uh, having gone through that process. One learns to make a very definitive tail on your oo to differentiate it from your u, uh, whereas when you're you trying to replicate the symbol that the IPA defines today, one makes definitive serifs on the top of your upsilon uh, character or your turned omega um, to differentiate it from your u. I think that's um, a, and, a good uh, general point, too, is that... Uh, when we're doing handwritten versions of any of these symbols, the only real detail that we need to get in there is the detail that will help people know which symbol it is. So I could add every little serif as the printed version has, and it might be beautiful, but it it won't necessarily communicate any better what that symbol is. For example, I have this terrible habit of putting a little swoosh at the bottom of my t symbol. It is completely unnecessary, but it's pretty. And I'm I'm trying to release myself from that. Well, I think it disambiguates a little bit because L, the velarized L, does look a lot like a T. And so by putting a sort of hook tail on the T, it's it makes it easier to differentiate it from that uh, velarized L. Well, I'll so offer there, that there's as logic my, to it. it. You're not you, you're not just frilly. Good, good. You can also be frilly, but you're not <laughs> just frilly. But only if I contain information. Uh, so there's another version of this symbol. So so far we've got our uh, upsilon, uh, and uh, as discussed, it's sometimes seen as a, a turned omega. Uh, although I absolutely 
fall in line with J.C. Wells' recommendation not to use a real turned omega uh, instead of an upsilon. Uh, there's the closed omega that you might see but is really not used very frequently at all. There's the Americanist and the Skinner version, which is a small capital U. Uh, and then there's also, I guess we'd have to call it a broad transcription or Daniel Jones transcription that is differentiating between U and U using essentially the same symbol but using a length mark on U and no length mark on U. So the symbol would be uh, just a U with a little tail, a little serif at the bottom. Um, there's an Americanist phonological version of this where the difference isn't a length mark, but the U is represented by lowercase u, W, whereas... Um, the U is represented just by lowercase u. So that W so, really... Uh, again... It stands for labialization. They're making U yeah. into a glide. U. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a superscript. It really is oh. a W. And in the same way, they represent E as I followed by Y. So it's a phonological representation rather than a phonetic uh, one. Got it. So uh, uh, different, different history, different uh, reason why they're using it, but you, you do encounter it there as well. I, I just wanted to speak briefly about this habit. And, and in fact, when people are using this broad transcription, you'll see it on J.C. Wells' phonetic blog. What they seem to you'll be... you see it in dictionaries. Yeah, absolutely. What seems to be encoded in that is the notion that they're essentially the same sound differing only in quantity, in length, when I think it's clear that they're also different in quality. Uh, and so by using one symbol with a difference in length, you're saying, you're basically saying that quantity is the salient feature rather than quality. And I, I don't really agree with that. I think the difference between good and goose is not just how long the sound is. Uh, and in fact, they're all variable in length anyway. If I said good goose, then I'd be making a big <laughs> difference in quality, but inverting the quantity. So it seems like, uh, again, a, a phonemic way of writing it. Also, it seems like a conservative way of writing it. And by that, I mean, if you have a small keyboard... <laughs> You need to conserve your symbols and not have too many of them. Yes, and I do think that part of that goes back to the history of typography and that there, we didn't have the advantage of uh, the ability to make fonts back uh, in the 19th century when Jones was, was defining these symbols mm -hmm. as, as representing these sounds. So he was trying to you know, save letters from his case of type um, and and cut, you know, kill two birds. And there is stone. a phonological truth about this, that there is, that those sounds are certainly related. They're historically related, as we'll get into in a bit. So th there's a logic to there, to, to, to that way of doing things. But I don't want to lose the phonetic difference that is essential. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, it, it goes back to this idea of the ooh vowel being on the outside of the vowel chart, what Jones called a cardinal vowel, and mm -hmm. uh being on the inside. It 
it's not a cardinal vowel, and therefore all those words uh, like foot uh, were were relegated to second class citizenship at best um, because they they did not have that sound that was on the outside very distinct from others um, because it's uh, centralized it it seems to be perceived as being second class and I suppose historically some of the words that pre- we pronounce today with an uh vowel were pronounced with a short oo. Um, so a word like foot and food uh, would have sounded much more alike in quality at one yeah. time, and that foot eventually had its quality changed, that foot uh, would have been foot and food would have been just a little bit longer, and that would be really the difference. Exactly. I, I, let's save, though, the historical uh, shifts for a moment. You, you had one thing that you wanted to bring up, which is the difference in stress, that is to say, uh, how we might use an uh sound in an unstressed syllable. Am I getting that right? Yes, um, that the we often think of these lexical set words as talking about uh in stressed syllables, and that's what, what uh, lexical sets really define, is vowels that appear in stressed syllables. There are a few at the end. We've got... Uh, uh, comma and happy as being and letter as yeah. examples of uh, unstressed vowels um, and some people suggest that into should be a fourth one of these weak vowels uh, in a lexical set and into in some context of course it, there's sort of the dictionary form into I can use that full goose vowel I can reduce it all the way down to schwa into um, but there is the sort of intermediary pronunciation which uses that uh vowel, the n- nearly close, nearly back, yeah. um, rounded vowel. Um, and there are lots of instances of weak syllables in the middle of words, things like uh, a word like, uh, uh, well, John Wells brought up in his blog the, the difference between a word like spatula and occupy that in his speech in RP speech, these the what's represented by the lowercase u in its spelling uh, is an uh sound spatula and occupy, um, and for I think for Phil and mm-hmm. I in con in relaxed conversation that's going to be a schwa in most instances. Um, but he, he differentiates those two words, uh, transcribing them differently. Spatula, he uses an upsilon, and occupy, he uses a lowercase u. Now, he differentiates his weak u from his uh, stressed u by putting the length mark after the u in a word like um, use. Um, so it's a different symbol for him, representing a different sound. And I think in his mouth, both words are realized with exactly the same sound. But he he's making a differentiation because those vowels happen um, in different kinds of syllables. Spatula, he puts the L at the end of the second syllable. Spatula. Because and according occupy, to he put his phonological rules, his rules, you you, uh, never occurs in an unchecked position. That is to say, free at the end of a syllable, uh, with no other consonant following it. 
and also schwa at the end of a word like spatula is on its own. Uh, so it it doesn't get a la. It it's it doesn't need it in a way. Yeah. Um, so whereas occupy uh, that i ending requires the p. So the p is peeled off to say the the pi syllable syllable. And so he must have occupy. It must be more oo like. And in his mouth, I think he really feels that he makes a slightly more yeah. ooish pronunciation of occupy rather than occupy. Um, so it's an interesting discussion. Ultimately, I, I think, uh, hopefully I haven't bored everybody with my slow and well, laborious description of what's going on there, but it, it's an interesting uh, thought that there are these weak oos in words like stimulus yeah. that are are uh, it's still an uh. It could be reduced to schwa for for uh, North American speakers, but for for many uh, British and uh, dialects or accents of English that sort of grew out of uh, of English later than American English did, um, it's going to retain that uh foot vowel quality, and uh, that's very valuable to us. Um, when we're learning new accents, applying rules, phonological rules to accents that 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 foot sound keeps popping up. Yeah, we, we can talk about the foot sound, that is to say the uh sound, and not be really talking about the foot lexical set category, which is stress. So we, I guess we're really talking about the into. In fact, that word into behaves differently in stressed positions in, in English, in, in American English, in, in Canadian English. When I say into the woods... I'm probably not rounding it at all. It's probably a schwa. But when I say into each life, I'm probably rounding it because I'm using that as a transition into the next vowel. So there are certainly accents where that never happens. Into the woods, into each life, the same schwa. So it's a variable yes. quality in unstressed syllables that we absolutely have to let our students know about, to let actors know about, so that they can use it. Yeah. So let us travel okay. back to so foot. <laughs> oh, actually, no, the next thing on my list is the occurrence of the sound, uh, in various languages. Uh, this This is, again, something I've pulled off Wikipedia. I have to put a little caveat in here and say that Wikipedia is not a reliable source, ladies and gentlemen, for your high school term papers. For some reason, they get their phonetics often very good. So uh, I, I find that I, I learn things there that I can then confirm in other sources as well. So although one should always double-check, it can be a pretty good source. Uh, I have to say, I think the linguistic community has made a concerted effort to raise the bar uh, in the areas of linguistics, and that uh, people who know what they're talking about have weighed in and made sure that that what's contained in the Wikipedia articles around phonetics and phonology isn't hogwash. And that's a, a commendable job that they've done to make, make a useful resource for us. Although I can say that in this very episode... Uh, I think that my reading through Wikipedia entries about symbols 
uh, got me off the track. And and if you'll listen back, you'll hear that I was mixed up about turned omega and upsilon uh, because of having read the Wikipedia article. So uh, the fact that I think that that's one of the possibilities I, that could not that could be untrue. It certainly the more authoritative texts that we look at use upsilon and not the turned omega. So uh, mm. always double check. Now, I, just before we talk about these it in other languages, let me just say one more thing about Upsilon, yeah. and that is when I first learned it, I learned it from print, from that book, mm-hmm. right? Lattice on Pullum's Phonetic Symbol Guide. And it's written U-P-S-I-L-O-N. And so I saw up, so I said Upsilon. And it wasn't really until I'd been teaching for several years when I went, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm trying to teach the sound uh why don't I just start saying oops, uh, upsilon and put the sound into its name? I I don't know whether it's supposed to be upsilon, but that's what I'm saying. Well, it makes sense. It works. I, I, I believe the etymology. So we have omicron and omega, omicron and omega, o, small o and big O. And so I don't yes. know, upsilon. Uh, it seems to me that the psilon must be some descriptive of ooh. So it makes some logical sense to say it as ooh. Yeah. The challenge for me is that we have the contrast of upsilon and epsilon. And when I, on, on my first day, when I'm working through those words, I have to be sure that I'm, I'm clear to articulate them, ooh, upsilon. Um, and it helps to be able to say something like oopsadaisy to get <laughs> yes. people to hear that sound as uh, part of the word. Anyway, a little digression. Lovely. That we're all about digressions. So it seems to be a sound that occurs in quite a few languages, which sort of makes sense because uh, the related oo sound happens all over the place. Uh, so the example in Arabic is kutub, uh, Cantonese hun, which is an unrounded form of the upsilon. Uh, obviously, we have it in English, uh, in French. Now, this is interesting, and you can give me the Quebec version of this. The example given here is... Well, you see, they're, they're using a Quebecois slang reduced version. I mean, in Quebec, this word they're giving, foule, it's a really strong, ooh, foule, uh, la foule. Uh, but there are some slangy, hey, la foule. <laughs> La foule, and they reduce yeah. it. So, uh, it, you know, it, what form of Quebecois, la foule? There are people who do say that, yes. And I guess that that's a reminder that any language that has ooh could have the sound ooh, even if it's not really recognized as a separate phoneme. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, yes, there. Russian, Swedish, Vietnamese, all of these languages have uh, this uh sound. They seem to be having it in stressed syllables. Schutz. Yes. Uh, uh, I think the Russian example looks like it's in an unstressed syllable as an unstressed allophone right. of oo. I, I do kind of feel like the Wikipedians have gone searching for <laughs> yes and managed to find a few languages. Um, generally, it's a fairly yeah. rare sound. We, now, we haven't gone off to um, our, our friendly web- website that has 
uh, all the rare sounds and and looked for uh, have we? No, but I. What's that? Walls? Uh, yeah, W A L S, the World Atlas of Language Structures. The the thing is, we. I wouldn't be at all surprised to find the sound widely distributed and the phoneme more restricted. That is to say, mm. as I just said, anyone who's got an oo has got the possibility of having an oo because we're not stressing everything all the time. But to really have oo as a distinct right. phoneme from oo, that's a question that I don't know the answer to. And you're right, this is a a handful of languages here. Uh, whether it's an exhaustive list or not, I don't know. I'll go further and say that even within English, where we know that sound occurs, it is not the most common sound that we have as a separate phoneme. Uh, I made a list of... It's pretty it really rare. Is. I, I, I suppose this is a good moment to go into the history of spelling. And in my... Looking through the research on this, I decided that I would try to find as many of these as I possibly could, uh, and I, I'm going to I'm going to just read them very quickly and and use that as a way of demonstrating how limited an inventory this is. We have foot, put, puss, bush, full, pudding, bull, good, stood, wood, hood, hook, hoof, cook. Nook, rook, look, wool, wolf, roof, soot, bosom, could, should, would, shook, push, might have repeated that one, cuckoo, butcher, cushion, rook, certainly repeated that one, uh, sugar, bullet, woman, root, brook, crook, and then juk, I'll get back to that one. Took, Buddha, and Muslim. Most of those mm -hmm. come really predictably through from Old English and from uh, Proto-Indo-European root, or root, uh, from O. Which, which really caught my ear, I have I'm to say. I'm sure it did. Said root. I, uh, that's the way it was pronounced where I grew up. That does not mean it was pronounced that way in my house. <laughs> so, uh, a word like foot is a great example because it was it entered English as foot with an O. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, O sounds move towards U. And then there was a process after we had foot, put, pus, bush, uh, all these Old English words with U sounds. Some of them shifted central towards U. So it's a twofold process there. And I think we talked about this in the Strut Nurse episode. There are three steps of centralization. So you could take the word foot, blood, and, oh, let's say, mode mood, and watch them shift. Mood is going to stay in the same position. It's going to continue ooh to the present day. Good, or f foot, is going to shift towards an ooh. 
but blood is going to shift all the way to the center. Why? Well, I, I think it's really about the the context of consonants that it's easy to say mood or food uh, partially because of the initial consonant. Uh, your lips are already forward. To say good is a little bit more hard work because your lips aren't involved in the g sound. But to say blood, the b and the l, the l interrupts the b. There's all sorts of work going on. You're, you're done by the time you get to the vowel. And so you're more likely to say blood. Now, <laughs> uh, uh, this is pure <laughs> yes, conjecture on yes. your part, though, well, right? Because we have no trouble saying blue. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And we, and we say food and foot. So, but right. all I can really say is there is some phonological force at work because this change has happened. Uh, and yes, and I think I can't imagine what it would be if it weren't articulatory ease, convenience. That seems to be the, the motivating factor in language change anyway, that we make the sounds that feel easy to make next to each other. So by watching the differing development of, of words, I think that we, I don't know, I feel I'm pretty sound ground making a conjecture that something happened based on articulation. Now, can I easily explain right. the difference between foot and food? Well, generally speaking, unvoiced consonants after vowels tend to make them shorter than others, and so food would be longer, and uh, we've already talked about the relationship between length and quality, so foot is going to yeah. be shorter than food. Uh, I, I can't say that I have the authoritative reference in front of me to say that this is definitely happening, but uh, I feel bold about it. <laughs> um, now, uh, you know, food, food is an interesting word um, in Canada that uh, there are some, uh, some Canadians who are black who came to Canada at the end of the uh, Underground Railroad, and they live in southern Ontario, um, further south than Toronto. And uh, some of them, typically older people at this point, uh, pronounce food as food. Uh, it rhymes with good. So the the old prayer, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, has a rhyme wow. in it. And that, that was a bit of a mind-blowing uh, discovery when I was a young person. Um, when I was uh, young and going to church, the, uh, the minister at my church had... Uh, was from Southern Ontario, and he was black, and it was part of his cultural heritage to s pronounce food as food. Um, and it, it seemed to be an unusual, unique pronunciation of that one word, and it, it really leapt out at you well, when you heard it. Well, that actually brings me... I, I'm sh I can't say that these are really the same source, but uh, there's a great example of a word that has moved in mainstream pronunciation from an u uh sound to an oo uh sound, and that's juk. Uh, when we say jukebox, the origin of that is uh, juk joint, uh, which is from a Gullah word jug, 
which means wicked or disorderly. So a, a place where you go to drink and dance would be a juke joint, and you would listen to music on the jukebox, and as that moved into mainstream white culture, it moved from u to u to juke. Why? I'm not sure. Uh, but it's the only word I can think of that has made that transition. Uh, it's also a pretty new word, uh, first cited in 1937. Uh, right. It's interesting, the, the force perhaps of the Jew on the front of it uh, compared to the, the, the ook, yeah. right? Uh, we have words like book and look and cook. Um, the, but on the front, we have Jew and uh, June, July. The, we have those ooh sounds. So perhaps looking at it, people are, are more inclined, particularly if it's written J-U-K-E as opposed to J-O-O-K. Yeah, so that's a good example uh, of, of what we might call a spelling pronunciation. People see it written that way, mm-hmm. and they pronounce it as juke. Uh, the only reason I know that it's right. Juk is that it was uh, Zora Neale Hurston talks about it in an essay she writes and goes to great pains of, to explain that pronunciation. Otherwise, it would have been entirely lost to me. Uh, there, there are a couple of other words that don't fit this main pattern. So we have this really long list of uh, Old English words that are usually double O. Some of them are U spellings. Uh, there are some O-U, like could, would, should. All of those went to U first and then back to U. There are some that are from Old French, but they started with more of an U, a U spelling. Uh, and may have actually had yes. an U sound at one point, like sucre exactly. becoming sugar. Uh, that's a long Or path butcher was an look. interesting one because it was um, uh, a buck, a, a male goat, so it's the the buka uh, is the word for goat. And so it's the person who deals with the slaughtering of goats. Huh, that's interesting because uh, uh, I'm seeing on your list here that it comes from French and boucher um, uh, is definitely an ou sound. So uh, if it came in as a sort of a Norman introduction from Old French, then... Uh, I th- I th- uh, I don't know whether "baka" is uh, an old English. I think that there was or? a there was a root word that was that came both to French and to English, and that we we made mm. "buck" out of "buka," and the French made "boucher," and boucher. then it right. came from French into English in disguise and didn't have any goat connotations, I think, and and turned into this new word "butcher." And maybe because of that, it didn't go through the full centralization, centralization that turned book into buck, uh, or that changed mouton into mutton. Right. Um, so uh, I, Jack Windsor Lewis has this very helpful website where he sort of sums up spellings of of various lexical sets. And so to sum it all up, he says that basically it's spelled U or O-O, and it only has the O spelling in four words, bosom, wolf, woman, and worsted. 
Um, and there are there are a few OU words that he doesn't seem to include. Um, but uh, um, he also mentions the suffix uh, mm-hmm. F-U-L, full, um, and that we have talked about that back in our <laughs> Schwab episode. Um, but uh, the, the sort of this side of the, the equation is that in nouns like boxful or mouthful or spoonful, um, that has the, the uh vowel, whereas adjectives like useful, yeah. beautiful, hopeful do not. So that's an easy thing for those people who are teaching ESL yeah. or working with second language learners on accent modification. They can use that as a way of pointing out when to use By the way, it. you're looking very spoonful today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, thank the, you. The, the, the word woman that's on that list of O spellings is a, a terrific mm-hmm. one because it went through uh, man or man meant any human. And then in uh, in the 1500s, is that right? I'm not quite sure. It's a late Old English edition. You got weef man, and weef is the same root as wife, and that went through its own change. Uh, but in this case, it was unstressed, so it was woofman, woofman. <laughs> and so the F disappeared, and it changed to w. And so that one seems to have gone from an uh sound to an uh sound. That may be a similar uh, process, at least, that took juk to juke. This is taking woof or whiff to wu. And I think that in this case, it's the influence of the W, clearly, uh, because you're already mm. rounding. Yes. Maybe that, that explains wolf as well. Yes. In fact, there are some right. accents. We didn't mention this in our W episode. There are some accents where W is dropped. I'm thinking Wales is an example, and that might be because of a spelling influence, uh, because the W in Welsh spelling is a vowel, is an O or U. And so woman can be pronounced as oman, and you'll see that in Shakespeare, uh, Mary Wives of Windsor, who is my character there, Hugh Evans, uh, his W words are spelled in that way. Now, there, there are a couple that are additions, and they have a similarity in being uh, religious names, Buddha and Muslim. And they're essentially coming from other languages, and so the U uh is an interpretation of that sound. Muslim, of course, is an Arab the U is an Arabic sound, and so it makes sense that an Arabic word, Muslim, uh, would have that U pronunciation. Although you can certainly see people spelling it with an O in, in the history of English. Uh, the, the next thing on our list, if we've exhausted the topic of spelling and etymology, I think we have, uh, is mergers and splits, that is to say how people uh, group their sounds together. Uh, yeah. Um, before we do that, I just want to throw one more thing in, and that is that the uh sound does appear in other places in English uh, in the beginning or endings of oh, some yes. diphthongs. And we're not going to deal with those diphthongs today, but uh 
is at the beginning, at least of some people's pronunciations, of the ur diphthong that you get in words like pur, if yes. you pronounce it that way, uh, and uh, at the ends of diphthongs like ow and o, if you pronounce those like that. Um, uh, so it is, it is uh, as a, the u sound yes. itself does appear in other yes. places other than the interlexical set and the foot. Yeah, it seems set. like a, a theme today, okay. which is a really good one to reiterate, which is sometimes we're talking about the sound and sometimes we're talking about the word category. And so we'll avoid those for now because we're not talking about those word categories, those lexical sets, but it's certainly the same sound in terms of articulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Okay. So, back to mergers and splits, right? Yes, absolutely. Right? So, the first one I have listed on my page here is foot and strut. Uh, this, we've already discussed, is the historical development of strut words, that strut used to be pronounced strut, and it was strut before that. So, that shift didn't happen in some accents. Uh, they retain the older form. So, strut, cut. I'm trying to think of, of, so yeah, my gut doesn't feel good might have the same sound, whereas you and I would distinguish them. Yeah. The, The next one on my list is a merger of foot and goose, uh, which seems to just be speaking about the earlier historical period, that is to say, rather than all oo words moving to, or some oo words moving to o, in Scotland, for example, uh, you tend to have all of them grouped together and pronounced as oo. So, foot, goose. It's confused by the fact that those, uh, that realization is more front, uh, goose, it is, at least it yes. is today. Yeah. Goose. Yes. Good goose. And uh, we don't. We. I don't know that we know whether Scots long, long ago used to say go, "good goose," um, but certainly today it's more more front. Yeah, I actually think that there are some words that definitely. Uh, I'm not sure whether this was isolated to the the far north, but there were certainly some words that went through a period where they were rounded u. Uh, there was a development from i to u to u. Uh, it would be interesting if they had gone through that process and then in Scotland more recently moved back forward again to u. Mm. So the final one I have on here, I really am reluctant to call it a merger, and that is foot and nurse. Because I don't think people are really merging those two categories. They're saying foot and nurse, and so the, the categories are still distinct. But some people's pronunciation of foot words overlaps with another group's pronunciation of nurse words. So if I said the word nook and somebody else said the word nurse, uh, they they would be very similar sounds. But within each accent, you're not going to confuse those two words. So the the lexical categories haven't merged. 
Well, I mean, I think there are people whose pronunciations of wood and word are starting to get very, very close together. Wood and, and word. And uh, You'd have to have a non-rhotic accent. Yeah, uh, yeah if, I, if parts of the deep <clears throat> south um, or perhaps some African Americans might have wood and word uh, the same. Unfortunately, most African Americans have are coloring on nurse words. So um, it, it, it sounds tends to be sort of plantation style, um, southern, that kind of classic old fashioned, deep south, uh, non rhotic sound um, that uh, it's kind of dying out today. But it does still exist. And it would be in those environments. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the constellation it. of slang words uh, around W O R D word. And what up? And W O O T, what, what? There, there seems to be a, a sort of flexible boundary because they're words that are similar to other words. You know, that is the righteous word of the Lord, so you would say word, but it's also related to what. Uh, that was, is going to take some more research for me to figure out if that's BS or not. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop myself from saying these weird ideas that come into my head. But I'll definitely say that my students, uh, no matter what their background, I'd say 90% of my students make their foot words in an unrounded, centralized position. And I've been having, I've been quizzing my first year students and having an awful lot of confusion in the way they transcribe. Uh, sounds. So I might give them the word would, and they will transcribe it in a way that I would read as word. They're having a hard time in their heads mm. pulling those sounds apart. So maybe there's yeah, more I, of a merger than I'm we finding think? it more. Now, it could be that I'm turning into a curmudgeon, uh, but it, it's also... If I can be objective at all, I think I hear more centralization on foot sounds. Yes. And yeah. a total loss yeah, of lip rounding. So, Okay. Uh, we just have yeah, a few things yeah, to get I, through I here, right? I have these so? sort of in a little grab bag at the end of my script here. Uh, one is one that I noted in reading J.C. Wells' Accents of English, that the uh sound in cook is pronounced as kook in northern England and in Ireland. That seems very similar to the Scottish merger, so I'm not quite sure what's up with that. Uh, I wonder... I wondered whether it had something to do with the, that final velar mm. consonant uh, that, uh, you know, kookbook. Um, I have... For some reason, memory of a sample of some Irish person saying cookbook with a very ooh-like sound, uh, and that the, uh, the velar K might pull that uh further back, further uh, higher up, and maybe it would be more inclined to be ooh-like so rather than... My question would be like. then, and, and I better go find a sample, uh, to, to find out whether a person who says cookbook also says good, or whether they say, that's a good cookbook. Right. 
I also have a, uh, since we were talking about my uh, American students uh, changing the way they say foot, uh, there is a thing, I guess you could say, that in some cases they recruit what would be strut words into the foot set. And for some of these speakers, the only uh sound they really make is in a word like culture, sultan, vulnerable, multi. I hear culture, sultan, vulnerable, and multi. Yeah. Really? Hmm. That that close. I, I I certainly get a lot of effects of that velarization affecting the vowel before, but typically what I've heard in my students is more of a sultan, vulnerable, culture, uh, multi. So pulling back towards that lower corner of the vowel chart rather than the For upper. For me, too, it's a right question of, of lip rounding. And, and I'm not saying this is all of my students, but uh, culture... Mm. There are certainly students of mine who lip round on those sounds. There are also some who right. simply drop the L and say vulnerable culture uh, they, and multi. Uh, they yeah. just are not really tongue-tip lifters when it comes to L. Uh, right. But is that pulling the, the vowel further back, too? Because they're, they're making essentially... Uh, a velarized L, you know, sort of what we associate with... Yeah, kind of a I, I, I have, sound. though, heard vulnerable without any retraction of the uh vowel. Uh, sure, yes, of course. So That's quite common. Now. There does seem to be, in some students, and I'd love to see a map showing me... I, I should make this map myself, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, showing... <laughs> Exactly. It's on my In all list. your spare time. Uh, so, so that's an interesting one, and that would be so fascinating if any of our listeners had heard this same thing or maybe had heard something similar and think I'm full of it. Uh, what is going on with that lip rounding on vulnerable? Next on my list is a, a peculiar one. You may have been surprised by this, uh, which is Ashton Kutcher. I felt like yes, you or punked, punked you. Me. <laughs> or well, punked me. This is a, a, a. I have a personal association with Ashton Kutcher, in that we essentially went to the same high school. Uh, no, no. At the same time, no. <laughs> exactly. He's like half uh, your so, age. <laughs> uh, and the, the the name of the high school changed, but uh, I knew Kutchers. But I also heard them sometimes pronounce it as Kutcher. Uh, and oh, I think that Ashton Kutcher is leaning towards a much less rounded because he. Uh, this is what I hear when I talk to uh, people I went to high school with. Uh, what's he fronting about calling himself Kutcher when he should be Kutcher? Because there are no Kutchers, there are only oh. Kutchers. You can go over to where the Kutchers are and find this out. So uh, that's interesting because it seems to me that there's some sort of association there. If it is really true that he's changed the pronunciation, it could be entirely true that just his family says it Kutcher and that's good for him. Uh, or that we've all mistakenly said Kutcher. That certainly it looks a lot like Butcher and so one would be inclined to say Butcher. Um, but uh, yeah. that, that to me when I hear Kutcher... 
it sounds lowbrow for some reason, and I have no idea well, why I have that I, I, response. I to have, it. I have a reason uh, because, for one thing, according to reliable sources, they don't wear pants in the hoochie coochie dance, right? Uh, and uh, cooch. Yes. Uh, is That's all we need to say. Cooch. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. That's because that would be a great nickname for him. Yeah. Uh, let us leave it at that. Uh, or will be Perez Hilton. Yes. Uh, the next thing on my list is this is a, a funny little one. Actually, you raised an eyebrow audibly at, at this. Uh, hoof and roof to me are. Uh, rhyming words. Are they rhyming words for you? Uh, hoof and roof, no. However, we would both say hooves, probably. Yes. The horse's yeah. hooves. And roofs, uh, Although yes. certainly people say, yeah. Although I, I don't know if I'd spell it the way I spelled it there. So it seems to be variable. And again, that's probably a question of length based on the voicing or unvoicing. We talked about that in the Fever episode, I think, Knife and Knives, that there's this pluralization through voicing, and voicing may lengthen the sound. You may say that it inoculates hooves against centralization, that they were all hooves before, and hoof got short because it had the unvoiced sound. Now, I know some people who still say hoof for the singular. Uh, yeah. Hoof. Yeah, and... And I, I wonder if that's a second wave. So it used to be hoof. It went through centralization to hoof. And then as a sort of spelling pronunciation or to bring it in line with roof, people moved back to hoof. Maybe, I, I have no idea. Maybe. I, I think I may actually differentiate the noun from the verb. Uh, if I hoofed the ball... Uh, I use the ooh, but uh, the horses got a, a, a lame hoof. Um, but what about if what if you're dancing on the Broadway stage? Are you hoofing? Uh, hoofing, hoof, hoofing, hoofing it. I would say hoof in that case. Hoofing. And that's a further phonetic shortening uh, because it's I'd say a hoofer, definitely. Yeah, not a hoofer uh, because there's that extra syllable afterwards, and that's going to shorten it even right. more. Right. Right. Well, there's another word that I'd put in this category, uh, which is root. Root. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, but I, again, I'm, I'm looking inside my linguistic homunculus, what it really feels like inside of me. Yes. Uh, and I would say that I feel comfortable saying root, although I know I sound like a, a country bumpkin. But I don't feel comfortable saying that's deeply rooted in our culture. Right. And so that's a deep-rooted plant. That, it's like that's, hoof hoof. That's what you expect. Would your parents have said rooted? I, I don't think my parents would have said either one, but the people down the street. Right. Erlis Rarit in the farm next door would definitely have said, I think he would have said rooted. That's from the place where it's high in the middle and round on both ends, right? Ohio. Uh, actually, Iowa. It's another vowel oh. state. <laughs> Iowa. Sorry. 
It's a common confusion. In fact, uh, uh, my father told me a story of a, a Japanese physician who was in his department uh, who came in one morning at the University of Iowa hospitals and said, Iowa gozaimasu. <laughs> it, it was a subtle joke. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but also I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to hear uh, root in in Ohio as well. You know, it's Although interesting. It, I, I, I would have thought I, I would associate root um, and roof with pronunciations like warsh, um, sort of dated pronunciation that, of a certain generation. But that's warsh is still uh, spoken in Iowa. Right. It, it, in all sorts of places. Right. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah, there's. All of these sounds have a kind of double life. Mm-hmm. I might know I'm supposed to say root, but I might have a little model of root in my, in my heart. Yes. I also just want to say that uh, my address growing up was Rural Route 1. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I'll follow that route to see the root Right. Uh, so those words were distinguished in that completely. Way. No, no need to am- disambiguate them at all because they were essentially exactly the same. I mean, and completely in fact, different. In my his, speech, completely the same. Root and root. And there's a historic difference, as we've talked about in previous episodes, that sounds moved from o rota to root, and some u sounds then moved to ow. Uh, so. Route did that, <laughs> and root apparently didn't. I guess you could say that root with an O-U probably then started with an U pronunciation at the get-go because it's spelled O-U. That is fascinating, and I'm officially now talking out of my ass because I don't really know <laughs> if that's true or not. Whoops. <laughs> so that's a beautiful transition, actually, whoops, uh, because I have a handful of sort of onomatopoetic words, onomatopoeic words. Uh, Oops and whoops, I would say, but oops and whoops definitely are heard. And zhuzh as well. Yes, uh, to zhuzh your hair. Exactly. Uh, And that's certainly, uh, that's a new word. Uh, I don't know how old that word is, but not very. Not very. It was popularized on uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. So that exactly. show is, I think, off the air now, but probably no more than five years ago. Uh, so, yes, it's, a, it's another contribution of gay culture, uh, the word zhuzh. Uh, I have the word gooseberry on my list because I didn't know quite how to categorize it because, obviously, goose is... Not subject. It's the the name of the oo category, but for some people, goose gooseberries are gooseberries. Yeah, it seems like the berries really got elided in many <laughs> ways, right? There are so many things like whortleberries, you know, getting shortened. Um, that there, there, there's uh, lots of uh, these words that, like gooseberry and raspberry, raspberry, uh, strawberry, strawberry. Um, that that's part of the the berry culture of of the UK. We, I we think unless smaller, like little berries. I, I think it's a matter of trying to get through the word as fast as possible to get to the berry. 
the sweet, juicy nuggets. Exactly, exactly. Well, that brings me to the conclusion of my prepared remarks, uh, the end of the sermon for today. Uh, do you have any other little things to throw into the bucket? I, I don't. Uh, I think our bucket is full, <laughs> and uh, we, can, we can end there. Thank you so much for today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's, it's been a great chat. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you again next week on another Glossonomia. All righty.